Let's stand together again as Dan comes this morning to read to us from Amos chapter 4. I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you, as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, along with your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps, yet you have not returned to me declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel, and because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn into darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. This is the word of the Lord from Amos chapter 4, 6 to 13. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to begin with a story this morning, and it is a story about your associate pastor, Zach Hudson. I've known Zach since we were in fourth grade, and we've been friends for a long, long time. And I can only count on one hand the amount of times in our long friendship that we've ever been mad at each other. And I can only think of one time in the four years that he's been associate pastor here that he's ever been mad at me. And today I'm going to tell you the story about that time. So last summer we were in Nashville with a group from our church who was attending the annual meeting. And every day if we had a meal that was outside of the convention hall, we would discuss where we wanted to go and somebody would pick a restaurant. And so Zach was, was really excited on this day. He said, look, I, I checked my phone. It's only a few miles away. If we leave right now, we can go eat at this place, and then we can make it back in time for the next session. And I'm thinking, we're in Nashville, so surely Zach's going to pick like a great barbecue place or a great fried chicken place. But no, Zach wanted to go to White Castle. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever been to White Castle, but let me save you a trip if you're ever driving past one. White Castle is like Wendy's, except the burgers are smaller and not as good. Okay, that's White Castle. I had no idea that White Castle was on Zach's bucket list. For whatever reason, 
he'd never been to a white castle and he wanted to go and so zach says i want to go to white castle and i said there is no way when i'm in this town with all of this amazing food that i'm wasting one of our meals at white castle and i was totally unprepared because again i didn't know how passionate zach was about wanting to go to white castle for his reaction he just reacted immediately i knew you were going to say that I was like, you always do this. You never want to eat at chain restaurants. You never want to go to any trendy places. You always have to eat the local food. And I was just com completely taken aback. And I said, Zach, I, I can tell that you really care about this. There's a thing called Uber and Lyft. If you want to go to White Castle, go ahead. But I'm in Nashville, and I am not going to go eat at White Castle. Now, I didn't realize that. And by the way, Zach will tell you he wasn't really mad he was mad for a second okay he's not mad about it now but for a second he was mad i had no idea that while this was happening jesse johnston our wonderful young adult minister who's a peacemaker was sitting behind us and he pulls his phone up and he says hey guys we, we all like thai food right there's like a, a number one rated thai restaurant right around the corner and so we were like thai food sounds great let's go eat that now you know the White Castle story. It's become legend in the Costanzo and Hudson families. One thing I will tell you about Zach, and any of you that know this know this is true. Zach is a man who demonstrates so much fruit of the Spirit. He is such a kind person. He is such a patient person. He's such a joyful and intentional person in his relationships. Very rarely does Zach ever get upset or, or demonstrate even, even a, a sense of unhappiness about something. Zach is just that kind of person, and, and he's so easygoing and so easy to, to work with and be friends with. I, I can't say enough good things about Zach, but there are times when things upset even people like Zach Hudson. And now I want to be careful to not compare zach to the lord completely here okay but what happens here in chapter four is that god says to the people i've been patient i've waited i've tried lots of other things to get you to do what god repeats throughout this chapter to return to me and i've gone through a succession and i've taken you through a succession of events trying to say to you as my people will you not return to me you've gone astray just like your ancestors you have abandoned me to worship your idols just like your ancestors you are oppressing the poor you are denying people justice you are just like the nations around you who you used to condemn and now within your own walls you treat people like they are less than human i've tried everything i can to get your attention and it's as if God is saying, I've been patient, I've been deliberate, I've been trying to lead you like a shepherd. But now, as we read in chapter 3, God says, no longer am I gently leading you like a shepherd, but I, the Lord, am going to roar against your sin. You have not returned to me, and what it's going to take to get you to that point is going to be far worse, far worse than even what your ancestors experienced. And so the call of Amos that goes out is the call to return to the Lord. And, and it's the call to stand firm for justice. And it's the call to love every neighbor as we love ourselves. And God is going to have to take extreme measures and allow 
extreme things to happen so that his people will return to the right place. Now, I want to clarify as we begin today that the book of Amos, the prophecy of Amos, was not given directly to us. Okay, we're, we're not the original recipients of this prophecy. We are not the northern kingdom of Israel. Amos was not speaking directly to the American church. But boy, what we read here sure sounds a lot like us. It sounds a lot like our culture, our world, even things that exist inside our churches. And the word that God gives through Amos to the people then is certainly a word that we need to hear now. And I want to prepare you for this morning because if you didn't figure it out from the reading, and if Amos hasn't been rough enough already, this chapter is going to definitely make us a little bit uncomfortable. I love this quote from Oscar Romero. He is an archbishop in El Salvador. He says, A gospel that does not unsettle, a word of God that doesn't get under anyone's skin, a word of God that doesn't touch the real sin of the society in which it is being proclaimed, what gospel is that? And so what I try to practice and what I'm going to practice this morning is I don't spend a lot of time preaching to us about everybody else that's on the outside. But my heart is to preach to those of us who are in the room, those of us who are watching, those of us who are hearing the message today, and praying that we will have ears to hear the message that came from the Lord to his people, which they did not have ears to hear. And the consistent language from verses 6 to 11 is God stating to the people what this prophecy is all about and why they're receiving such vivid descriptions of the destruction that's about to come their way. You can look forward to next week because next week is a little more hopeful and next week is more God's message of, of truth that really is summarized in Amos. But this chapter is about the impending destruction that's coming. And the reason God says multiple times in these first verses, you have not returned to me. Now, remember, Israel, the northern kingdom where Amos was prophesying, was at the time experiencing great prosperity. So what Amos is describing here is on the one hand what their ancestors experienced. On the other hand, someday they will look back on this prophecy and they'll realize what it was saying. But for now, in the moment that they're receiving this word, for the most part, the northern kingdom of Israel was experiencing times of great prosperity. Their economy was strong, their military was large, and their palaces were extravagant. In fact, we'll see this in a couple of weeks. We'll look back through these descriptions where Amos is describing their palaces of stone and their, their beautiful ivory and their furniture and their luxuries. The people of Israel were living and acting as if they were on a, a pedestal so high that even God himself couldn't knock them off. And we understand and can relate to that kind of pride, that kind of economic pride and national pride and military pride where as we said last week we know what it's like to live in a culture where people don't fear the lord but amos is saying get ready because god is about to knock you down just as he tried with your ancestors when they 
were doing the same things. And look at some of the ways that he calls his people back. First, quite literally, it's their, their experiences and the conditions in which they live. Amos describes in verse 6 a famine. I, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and a lack of bread in every town, and yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Then there was a drought. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. In other words, when you needed rain the most, I withheld it, and people staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Then he allowed their resources to be diminished. Dare we say their supply chain was affected. Look at this verse 9. Many times I struck your gardens and vineyards, destroying them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees, and yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. So then I treated you almost as if you were the Egyptians. I sent plagues among you. Again, your ancestors dealt with this. This is what you'll deal with in the future. I sent plagues to you, but you still did not return to me. And so, so then the invading armies came in. Your young men were killed with the sword, along with your captured horses, and your nostrils were filled with the stench of death coming from your camps. And yet even with a large-scale, massive death experience, you still have not returned to me, declares the Lord. These verses, in this part of Amos' prophecy are, are strong warnings to the people of Israel. If you do not repent, if you do not return to me, the hardship and destruction you face and will face will sound familiar to you, but it will be even worse. And if we doubt that it will be even worse than what the majority of the Israelites experienced. Verse 11 mentions two names that certainly bring to mind the worst of the worst in every way. Here in verse 11, God says, I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Even people who don't know much about the Bible have probably heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. They either think of Sodom and Gomorrah as a place of great depravity and evil and sexual immorality, or they think of Sodom and Gomorrah as places that God wiped off the face of the earth. In any case, to be compared to Sodom and Gomorrah is never a good thing. We were spending some time with our teenagers here in the church a few weeks ago. We have an amazing student ministry we have wonderful student ministers and volunteers and teachers who are investing in our teenagers. And our teenagers, as you might imagine, they are dealing with some really strange times to be a young person. And they are constantly bombarded with mixed messages, lots of messed up teaching about life and about sexuality and about gender and all kinds of things. And our teenagers are in a battle and they are wrestling and they are struggling and I have to tell you that I was so proud of our teenagers in our church because they asked some really good questions, some really hard questions, specifically about sexuality and gender and things along those lines. And, and so Matt and Laura brought Zach and I to the students and, and Amber Hermes, one of our teachers, 
and we got to field some of these amazing questions from our teenagers. One of the things I said to them, which I'm saying to you today is, don't ever make the mistake of thinking the Bible is not relevant to the, the strange, dark, and depraved sexual times in which we're living. Because in many cases, the Bible was written in times where culture was extremely depraved in terms of sexuality. If we think about the New Testament, if you know even a little bit of history about the Greeks and Romans, okay, you know there was a lot of sexual immorality that existed at the time of the New Testament. And if you look back to the story in Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah, you will see the worst of the worst in terms of sexual depravity. Anytime we think to ourselves, it can't be any worse than this, you can look back to that story and say, yes, it can. And the Bible speaks right into that situation. And yet when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, there is more to that story than just sexual immorality. Their sexual immorality was a symptom of a much deeper rooted and seeded sin that was pervasive in that culture and in those cities. And the, the prophet Ezekiel actually helps us know more about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, specifically Sodom. And listen to how Ezekiel sounds like Amos. And also notice that Ezekiel doesn't mention the sexual depravity until the very end of his description. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom, Ezekiel said. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them, as you have seen. Yes, they ended up in a place of, of great sexual depravity. But leading up to that, where did it begin? With pride? With arrogance? with consumerism, overfed, with apathy and, and disconcern towards the needy. They were unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. They became cocky, haughty, arrogant, and then they did detestable things before me. And what was the result? I did away with them. It's not uncommon today to find people in our culture and even in our churches that thumb their nose up at the word justice. And, and they get irritated and annoyed anytime somebody who's different than them or experiences life different than them shares their perspective and, and maybe it makes them feel bad. We all face this. We all wrestle with it. But here's scripture reminding us, not just from Amos, but Ezekiel saying, Look at where things started in Sodom and Gomorrah. It ended with this terrible depravity. It ended with their destruction. But along their way, their pride led them to close their arms towards the poor and the needy, to stop standing for justice and demanding what is right for their neighbors. And as their hearts became hardened and their pride grew and they became arrogant and they completely threw out God's standards of holiness and purity, Eventually, the only thing left to do was to destroy their cities as they knew them. May we never, or maybe I should say it this way, how dare we ever thumb up our noses at justice, at the needs of the poor and the oppressed, ever neglect to, to, to have open hearts 
to what it looks like to love our neighbor as God has loved us. And every time we consider how much grace we have experienced from God, and for any of us to have salvation, we know we have experienced matchless grace. How dare we not then show grace and be people of grace to others? Lest we end up looking just like all of the depravity and the hate and the evil that is around us. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick that I snatched from the fire. This, that verse always makes me think of, of my Sunday school teacher, who some of you know, my, one of my past Sunday school teachers, Arlen Kaiser. And if you're a jinx person, you knew Arlen Kaiser. And Arlen would always joke, some people make it to heaven, but they smell like smoke. That was his joke. It's like they, they just barely make it in. And I always think about that with the nation of Israel. You barely made it. You deserve to be destroyed because you were not mirroring me. You were mirroring the nations around you and all of the evil and sin and depravity. You destroyed to be burned with Sodom and Gomorrah, with those others who were destroyed. But like a burning stick, I snatched you from the fire. You smell like smoke. And yet even when I rescued you from the depths of destruction, still you have not returned to me. And so, this part of the prophecy, this strong and vivid warning to the people of Israel, continues with what's going to happen if they continue to not repent and return to God. And what's going to happen is, Amos says, prepare to meet your God. I'm thinking that Amos 4.12b is going to become some of your favorite verse now, your, your favorite verse. Prepare to meet your God. Sounds like a line from a movie. But it's Amos proclaiming in the clearest terms, therefore, because of all of these things that have happened and you have not returned to me, this is what I will do to you, Israel. All of those things you heard, ending with being like Sodom and Gomorrah, and because I will do this to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. Things are about to get really bad for the people of Israel. And yet, as we read through Amos, it's clear that they continue to live in denial. And they continue to live in willful ignorance, still thinking that they're on too high of a pedestal for God to knock them down. Look back with me for just a moment to the beginning of this chapter. Remember, we've, we've given you a reading plan. It's in the channel, it's online, so you can follow along and, and read through Amos. We're not reading every verse out loud, but today we'll actually look at all the verses in this chapter. Go back to the beginning for a moment, and I just want you to see how Amos is describing, as God is speaking through him, their denial. And the way they continue to live, even with the threat of destruction. Amos 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy. And yet say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. Do you get, do you get the picture there? You continue to live in disobedience. You, too, you continue to oppress the poor and needy. 
God's given you ample warnings that that will lead to destruction, that you will become like Sodom and Gomorrah, and yet you still got your feet kicked up saying, bring us more drinks. That's the picture. It sort of reminds me of this meme. This is one of my favorite memes for the last few years. The whole world is burning around us. All the fire, the smoke, and the flames are are crashing in, and yet we're like, it's fine. Everything's fine. Surely these words from this old book in the older part of the Bible, they don't apply to us. Surely God's not going to knock us down. Surely the, the consequences, the warnings, the word that God gave isn't going to come to fruition for me. Everything is fine, and, and yet all we have to do is open our eyes and, and use our senses and we can see the flames, we can smell the smoke, we know that things aren't fine. Yet the people of Israel are saying, bring us more drinks. So verse 2, the sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness. Really important words. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks, which is a direct reference to the Assyrians who would lead away their captives by putting a hook in their nose and pulling them along. You will each go straight out through the breaches in the wall, the wall that you built around your city that you believed was impenetrable, that nobody could ever conquer, that nobody could ever knock you down, through the breaches that will be made in your wall, in your security. You will go straight out, each of you, and you will be cast out toward Harmon, declares the Lord. And then in the next two verses, please don't be offended by this. But I think God is being sarcastic. Is it okay for God to be sarcastic sometimes? He's not being sarcastic in a bad way. But if you doubt me, just listen to the language. Again, the fire is burning around them. The destruction is coming. Their, their culture, their world, their nation, their homes are rampant with idolatry. And God says, so go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, for this is what you love to do, declares the sovereign Lord. I can put it in modern terms for us. Keep going to church. Go ahead. Keep living the way you're living. Keep ignoring me. Keep sinning and then showing up at church again. Bring your offerings. Bring your sacrifices. Sing my songs. Do all of that. Just keep it up and say to yourselves, everything is fine. Brag to the world about how great you are. Remember to look down on others and boast about your offerings. You love to do that. And yet you hear in the language here, and, and these are the verses that are before our main reading this morning where all that comes next is destruction where God says keep it up keep it up but make no mistake I hate your worship I'm rejecting your offerings what we're going to read in chapter 5 is God saying your offerings are like a stench to me same word of that stench of death they're offensive because none of it is real None of it is coming from your heart. You keep practicing your religion. You keep acting like you love me and, and you pat yourselves on the back for all the good that you do. And yet God says, as we read further 
you have not truly returned to me. Religion does not bring us to a right relationship with God. We can live in complete disobedience and still be very religious people. What brings us into a right relationship with God is repentance. It is surrender. It is all of our hearts, all of our lives, not just a little bit, completely surrendered to the Lord. Why? So that we can stand in his presence as our holy, sovereign Lord. The sovereign Lord speaks, he swears by his holiness. Without repentance, without surrender, we can't stand in the presence of a holy God. It's only through repentance and surrender that he allows us into his presence so that we might be right with him. And listen, friends, religion is not the path that gets us there. It's repentance, it's surrender. It's an authentic relationship with our creator. I love this quote from J.T. Mottier. Some of you will, will love this quote as well. Holiness is the quality which makes God what he is. It is first that which makes him God, and secondly, that which sets him apart as distinct from all others who would claim to be God. Religion can take us to a lot who might claim to be God, but only holiness, which God gives us through surrender and repentance, will allow us to stand in his presence as our holy God. And God is calling his people back as we said last week using this language of and you ought to know better you ought to know this more than anyone because just as God's holiness sets him apart God says to his people I set you apart so that you would not look like everybody else you would not look like all the nations around you that you would not look like those who worship idols and chase false gods but that you as my people would look like me and as I have blessed you, you would be a blessing to the nations. But as Amos calls them back to surrender, and as we read further in this book, the reality begins to set in that they're not going to return until the destruction comes their way. Prepare to meet your God, Amos says. And who is your God? Verse 13 is a, a beautiful doxology. There are three of these in the book of Amos this is the first God is he who forms the mountains who creates the wind and who reveals his thoughts to mankind who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth the Lord God Almighty is his name the same God who revealed himself to the people of Israel who is our creator and the creator of the universe. He calls each and every one of us to the same step of obedience, the step of surrender. He calls us as Isaiah, who was prophesying at the same time as Amos, writes it, saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's the call we have from the Lord. That through repentance, through returning, through surrendering, we would say it doesn't matter what is happening outside. Inside our hearts and inside the community of faith, we are those who belong to the Lord God Almighty. And in a daily act of surrendering our lives to him, when we hear his voice saying, this is the way, walk in it, then 
It's in this way that we walk. This morning, as we close, I want that that call that you hear and that we hear as individuals and as a community to not be the call to be more religious, but the call to repentance. And the call to repentance is a call to surrender. That even if you would say today, there's not some specific thing that I really need to repent from, it's still a daily act to surrender and to say to the Lord, the way that you've laid forward, it's in this way, the path of obedience that that I'm going to walk. And my prayer for us as a church continues to be that we would do that together, that we would walk in a path of obedience. Yes, it's in my heart, it's in your heart, but that collectively that all of us would say, this is not a place where we thumb up our nose at the word justice. This is not a place where we ignore the fire that's burning around us and keep living our lives as if the word of God doesn't matter. But this is a place where we believe we are called to walk in surrender and in obedience to our holy God. And he has set us apart that those around us will see the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ in us. And when they see the light of the gospel in Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ in us, that they too will be drawn to that light to live their lives in surrender and to walk in the path that says this is the way. Walk in it. This morning, my prayer for all of us is that we would surrender to our Creator, to the Lord God Almighty who has revealed Himself to us. He who forms the mountains, who creates the wind, and who reveals his thoughts to mankind, who turns dawn to darkness and treads on the heights of the earth. The Lord God Almighty is his name. Pray with me. Lord, today I thank you that as you speak to us so clearly, the work of conviction is the work that you do. And through the Holy Spirit, the work of conviction is very consistent. And that you have a way that I don't understand, but you speak to not just one heart, but every heart. And you call us to obedience as individuals, but also you call us to obedience collectively as your people. Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to see in our own hearts what it looks like for us to to surrender and to take that, that next step of obedience. And then also give us eyes to see as a community what it looks like for us to be faithful as a church and as your people and to be a blessing to our neighbors and to the nations to which you've called us. Lord, today I pray that you would speak to every heart and though this message has been heavy in in talking about God the Father, God the creator of the universe, Lord, that you would also remind us of Jesus Christ and of the salvation that we have in him. We thank you for Jesus Christ's sacrificial death and and his victorious resurrection. And today, as, as New Covenant people, we pray that you would focus our eyes on you, that you would point us to the cross, and that you would draw each of us today to that path of obedience. This is the way. May we walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen.